Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. So what's on your mind today, Ken? Free will. You know, this absolute control that we have over our thoughts, our actions, our decisions. I love freedom. Oh, Ken, it's just an illusion. I mean, if, if God isn't in control of everything, at least the laws of nature are. You're just the unfolding of a causal sequence that began long before you were born. Grow up. It, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like when I act, I act. I decide. I have kind of absolute dominion over what I will do or won't do. That's how it feels to me. Well, it feels that way because it's your desires and your wants that, that make you do what you want. But where did those wants and desires come from? You're just a pawn of history, Ken. Oh, gee, that would mean that free will is an illusion. Let's see if that's right. Wait, stay tuned for Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. Hey, Ken, do you know the difference between Fox News and Philosophy Talk? Oh, uh, we're good and they're bad? No. One questions everything except your intelligence, and one questions nothing except your intelligence. <laughs> That's John Perry, and I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW 91.7 in San Francisco, the oldest, most innovative public radio station around. And we're continuing conversations that begin down the road at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Where everybody's free and autonomous, John. Free and autonomous. That's our topic for today. Freedom, determinism, moral responsibility, autonomy. But, but since you're younger and have a supple mind, why don't we start by you explaining some of these terms to me? Start, well, start with freedom. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, freedom. You know, when I act, I act out of my desires. I do something in particular, but I act freely when I act when I could have done otherwise. Although I bopped you over the head, I could have not bopped you over the head. That makes me free. Okay, so let's suppose that one day you bopped me over the head because you've got kind of a tick in your arm, and it was totally, as we would say, involuntary. The next day you bopped me over the head because somebody's holding a gun to your head. Those aren't free, I guess. But right. the third day you just decide, gee, it'd be fun to bop Perry over the head, and you do it. That's free. Oh, but, yeah, right, right. I bop you because I want to, and I could have not bopped you, but I did it because I wanted to. And determinism is, you know, what is nature like? It's this relentless chain of causation, relentless necessitation. One thing follows another without any choice. And if we're part of nature, then... We're just part of nature. We're just part of this relentless chain of causation. So my desires that cause me to act, they're just more events in these relentless causal chains. So there seems to be a problem. If determinism is true, are we really free? And then there's another aspect of the problem is it looks like if we're not free, we're really not responsible for anything. Now, to help me believe that, that if we're not free, we're not responsible. Well, you hold somebody morally responsible when they had a choice, when they could have done otherwise, when they could have done something different. But if they're just working out the ages-old causal chain that really began long before they were born and their very wants and desires and personality and character are just the result of the past, how can we hold them morally responsible? Well, that's a, that's a good question, you know? I mean, it's like, so somebody commits a murder, and you say that if I can show that maybe they had a bad upbringing or something like that, and they were kind of they were beaten by their parents, and they were de determined to do it because of all this past stuff, then they get off scot-free just like that? Well, you know, Ken, that's not just an abstract possibility discussed by philosophers. There have actually been cases in the courtroom 
where it was argued that people should get off or, or their at least their punishment should be diminished because of the fact that their actions were determined in cause. A Twinkie defense was famous in San Francisco. Oh, you're right. And it's not just in the courtroom. It's also in the cinema. And, you know, our roving philosophical reporter, Amy Standen, she examined the 1948 film classic, the Hitchcock film Rope. Uh, she files this report. Do you realize we've actually done it exactly as we planned? Not a single infinitesimal thing has gone wrong. It was perfect. Yes. An immaculate murder. We've killed for the sake of danger and for the sake of killing. We're alive. Truly and wonderfully alive. In the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rope, two young men kill an acquaintance of theirs just for the thrill of committing what they think is the perfect crime. Brandon, how did you feel? When? During it? I don't know, really. I... I don't remember feeling very much of anything until his body went limp and I knew it was over. And then? Then I felt tremendously exhilarated. The movie is based on the infamous 1924 murder of a young Chicago man by two of his friends, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. What really made the case famous was the impassioned defense built by the murderer's lawyer, Clarence Darrow. Darrow argued it was the boy's character, along with an unhealthy interest in Frederick Nietzsche, that had led them to kill. Nature is strong and she is pitiless, said Darrow before the jury. She works in mysterious ways and we are her victims. We have not much to do with it ourselves. Nature takes this job in hand and we only play our parts. Clarence Darrow argued that because they had committed this murder, there must be something wrong with their brain. And as a result, they couldn't have done anything other than what they did. And as a result of that, they couldn't possibly be responsible for it. In other words, the boys didn't have free will. They were merely instruments of their own nature. Hilary Bach is an associate professor of philosophy at Johns Hopkins University. If we adopted that view, the first thing we might be tempted to think is, well, if no one is responsible for anything, then maybe we don't get to punish people at all. Maybe we should just say, well, if you did something wrong, that means there must be some problem with you. And then we might think, well, maybe you should be treated for those things, not punished. I think that at some point, this would break down and people would say, well, wait a minute. The fact that I voluntarily make bad decisions, that of itself should be enough to ensure that I can be put in jail. After all, if you can't be punished for doing something wrong, you can't be rewarded for doing something right either. It's in that moment when you sit down, count to ten, and make the choice that you're essentially flexing the free will muscle. This is a distinctly human talent, one you can't always expect, by the way, from a chimpanzee. They have a lot of things in common with us, but one thing they don't have in common with us is the ability to stop and frame for themselves explicitly the question, what kinds of rules do I want to act on? What kind of person or chimpanzee or whatever do I want to be? Hilary Bach describes an experiment in which two plastic numbers were placed in front of a chimp, each representing a corresponding pile of food. The chimps had been taught that whichever number they pointed to, that many pieces of food would go to another monkey, and they'd get to eat the second pile. So, naturally, the monkeys picked the smaller number and were rewarded with a larger pile of food. But when the plastic numbers were replaced with actual food, things fell apart. They couldn't help themselves. They would always point to the big pile of food, even though they knew that then the big pile would be given to the other monkey. They just couldn't help going for the big pile of food. 
And what was interesting is that they were capable of getting it right when they were presented with the little plastic numbers, which are more abstract, and which I think allow for more room for reflection. But when they were presented with piles of food, they could not help themselves. Perhaps that explains why we sometimes turn into monkeys, too, letting rage or desire get in the way of our ability to exercise free will. When a person acts in a reflexive way or when they're mentally ill so that they don't have the ability to think critically about what they're doing, they don't have free will. But when a person can think about what she's doing and make a decision and act accordingly, then I would say that that person acts freely and that she's morally responsible for what she does. For Philosophy Talk, this is Amy Standen. You can listen to the rest of this program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.